This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Pauly, and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories Midweek, episode 18. Climbing on up. Yep, and we've got Vanessa Hogle on the show tonight, and she'll tell us all about her uh, Amazon documentary that she's got that she's based over in Ireland. And Also, we, I, I kind of had her start telling me a little bit about... She does uh, helping out the police department and stuff. She's a medium. Wonderful. So she helps police departments even across the country. And wow. not, not just across the country, across the world. She's wow. had people all over and she can just, they send her stuff and she's able to just kind of uh, see what's going on from afar and give them guidance and stuff like that. That's incredible. It's really cool, so. Anyways, she'll be on a little bit later. But first, I'm going to tell you about the Screaming Skull. The Screaming Skull. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's go to, and I'm probably screwing this up, but it looks like it's Bettiscombe Manor in Dorset, England. So the year is 1685, and the owner is Azaria Penny. Azaria was involved in the uh, Monmouth rebellion against james the second so he wasn't exactly the most safe guy to be around so because of this he was exiled to the west indies his grandson john frederick he took over the manor in the early 1700s now he brought with him an african slave as a manservant the slave asked frederick that he wanted he had one demand really or a request and that was what he wanted his body to be returned to africa upon his death mm-hmm. frederick agreed but he knew when he agreed that that was going to be pretty much an impossible thing to do oh so when the man died frederick had him actually buried in the local churchyard well much like the drum story that we did last week we talked about nobody in the house was able to sleep for, for weeks with the drum story, and it was the same thing here. Nobody in the house was able to sleep for weeks because of blood-curdling groans and shrieks that would echo all through the house mm-hmm. after he passed away. So Penny had the body disinterred, and he had it moved into the attic of the manor. So before you ask, mm-hmm. I don't know anything about the smell or what it was stored in or anything like that. I was like wondering that. what mis- or misinterred or whatever you just disinterred? said. Disinterred? Oh, disinterred. Yeah. It's dug up. Oh. Unburied. Oh. So interred means buried and disinterred. Oh, means. I did not know yeah. that. So he had it, the body basically dug up and he had it put in his attic. 
Why? Uh, Why can't he just do what the guy asked him to do? Well, I guess he probably didn't have the money or the means to be able to do it. I mean, this was the, you know, 1800s. It wouldn't be as simple as it would be today. Well, no, but you got to be respectful. Come on now. I get it. I get it. So, what... Like I said, I don't know what he did about the smell. I couldn't imagine just taking a, a, a body and putting it in the attic. No. Being able to deal with it. But I don't know about any of that stuff. What I do know is that the former slave must have been satisfied with this because the screaming and the groaning stopped once this happened. By 1847, there was only a skull left. So the story goes that long, as long as the skull is kept... There will be no other ghost in the house, and there will be no disturbances oh, really? by the former slave. So it's been said that the skull has been attempted to be moved several times. Every time, though, disaster struck the area. Storms destroyed crops right before their harvest. Cattle would be strangely mutilated. In the 1960s, an old man said that he heard the skull screaming when he was a young boy like a rat trapped in the attic. Oh, man. <laughs> you cannot unhear that. There was a man who rented the manor uh, in the early 1900s. And he was getting ready to move to Australia, and he had this huge party right around Christmas time. He said he took the skull out of a red velvet lined box that it was kept in, and he threw it in the pond. The next morning, the skull was sitting right on his front doorstep when he <laughs> oh, walked geez. out. So 30 years later, Michael Penny was the new owner, and he's the last descendant of Azaria Penny, and he now owns the manor as of, you know, that time. He gets a visit from these three different Australians, all at the same time, you know, they're friends. And one of them said that they were the son of the man who threw the the skull into the pond. Mm -hmm. Guess what? What? He informed Penny that his father died within a year of moving to Australia. Oh. So no. The, supposedly the skull is still here, to, still, still there today. In the 1950s, Michael Penny, who we talked about earlier, he supposedly had the skull examined, and the I guess the anthropologist or the scientist who ever did the studying on it said that it was actually the skull of a young woman and was closer to three to four thousand years old <gasps> holy crap now there's some prehistoric constructions uh that that are right back behind the house on the hills um and that's probably where it came from they seem to think that maybe there was a lot of rain Something like that it, yeah. all the time, and maybe it unearthed it, and it just maybe floated down somehow and ended up there, and they ended up putting it, you know, in the house, and the rest of the stuff was just stories that came up. But the skull obviously belongs to somebody way older than a slave. Well, from then the what happened 1700s. to his skull? The well, slave skull. There may not have been a slave skull. That might have been, this skull might have been all there ever was, and the rest of the story was just made up to go around it. Oh, oh my goodness. How cool would that be to see a 3,000-year-old skull? Keith Richards is pretty close. <laughs> oh. oh, Keith. He's going to outlive us all, him and Betty White. So, anyways, I thought that was kind of a cool story. That is a cool story. But it turns out it's probably more folklore than anything else. Oh, man. 
So that's urban messed, legends. That's messed up. So, so I don't know, but but I think the guy that did have throw the skull in there did die. I think that part's true. I think uh-huh. just the part about the slave, and and um, him dying and being disinterred. I think all that. That's a terrible word. Disinterred. Yes, because it sounds like turd. Well, how you spell it? I thought you were saying turd. I am saying turd, but it, it's spelled. Well, I mean, it's not like a turd that comes out of your... I know, but that's just a horrible thing. <laughs> oh. Anyways, so let's uh, let's t- let's take some time here and let's listen to Miss Vanessa Hogle. All right, let's do it. Hey, guys, we're excited on this edition to have... I don't even want to give a title out because there's about 70 titles I could give to this young woman, but Vanessa Hogle is with us. We'll start with saying she's a medium, she's an author... She's a podcaster. Uh, I think you do about 16, 17 other things. Vanessa, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And yeah, about 16, 17, (laughs) give or take. (laughs) Give or take. You can put artists in there. I've actually been shown in Chicago, and I've sold all over the world. Um, Single mom, uh, master dental assistant, waitress extraordinaire, a remote viewer, automatic drawer, speaker of the deceased is my favorite. So, what you got? Well, you know, it, it, <laughs> my, my wife Tracy's in the dental field also. Oh, bless her. <laughs> <laughs> 21 years under my belt. Yeah, she's about in that same same ballpark. But she, she works more of the front desk and insurance claims and stuff rather than the... Uh, she's never in anybody's mouth for the most part. Oh, but still, though, she's dealing with her insurance. I wouldn't trade her. <laughs> yeah, she tends to get a little frustrated. I understand. So, Vanessa, <laughs> let's yeah. talk about some of the stuff. We're going to get into your books and stuff a little bit later. We'll, we'll get a chance to tell everybody how they can find you on social media and how they can find your books on Amazon and stuff. And we'll post some links the week that this comes out. But I want to start with some of the, the medium stuff. Yeah. Your mediumship has taken you all over the world. Mm-hmm. It has gotten you um, on the police side of things where you've been asked to help on, on some cases and doing some remote viewing. I want to touch on those three things real quick because uh, the remote remote viewing and, and the helping out on police cases are always something that fascinate me. Tell me about how you get involved in a police case. I mean, how how does someone on the police force know, hey, Vanessa may be able to help with this? How did that start? Um, well, I did one. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, let me preface by saying that a lot of times when I see something like a, a missing persons or something like that, I'm, I'm not going to post on social media what I'm getting from it. I'm going to go straight to the source. So that is how that works in that arena. But um, here locally where I'm at, um, one of the cases that I worked on, I was at my job and I was actually traveling for the company. And so I was in Stillwater, Oklahoma, and this gentleman came to me. And he was obviously deceased. And um, he showed me who he was and in, in like picture form, like a Polaroid, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. And... Um, I kind of knew what was coming because about 30 minutes later, my phone rang. And it was a friend of mine whose husband was a police officer. And she says, Vanessa, we need your help. And I said, I know. <laughs> and, <laughs> and she said, uh, she goes, what, what do you mean? And I said, well, he's already come to me. And I described the gentleman. 
And she says, okay, how quick can you get here? And I said, well, you know, I get off at five. It's about an hour and a half drive, so I'll be there such and such time. And um, during that time, I use these little papers that we have at work, and I sketched out what I needed to sketch out, what I saw, where I saw him, how he was positioned, because I knew he was deceased. Um, but the confusing part, and this is uh, one that I, I love to tell people because it's people need to understand that this really is how it is. It's the most confusing thing in the world. He would give me impressions at his death and then from 20 to 30 years before. And I did not know what that meant. I had no way to decipher that information. I would just write it down. And it turns out he had Alzheimer's. Oh. So he was giving me his death and then the, the first memory he had that he had, you know, because Alzheimer's takes away your, your short-term memory, but you keep your long for the most part up until it gets worse. And um, I took the, the drawings to the, uh, the police officer, my friend's husband, and they ended up finding him where I said, in the position I said, exactly how I said, and actually found, based on my drawing, the person who was responsible for his death. That's incredible. So it's, but but here's the thing, and it's it's I I understand people get really excited about that, but I actually don't like doing those. I know that sounds like a cop out; it really does. But there is so much responsibility in missing persons cases that I always worry: what if I'm wrong? Because any one of us can be wrong. None of us are, are infallible. So that that's a big fear of mine. So unless I feel very strongly about it, I do not get involved. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, I, I could see how you would want to deal with that kind of pressure. That uh, of, I mean, you're dealing with possibly somebody else's life. You exactly. Know. You know, and the the one of the other ones that I worked on about, well, I say worked on that I tried desperately to work on was about a year and a half ago. Um, there was a little girl, I believe she was three um, out of uh, South Carolina, I believe. And a friend of mine sent me a picture of her and I saw somebody. So I drew him out. And I sent it to, or I called the police department and I told them who I was. And I said, I, I may have information on this little girl's disappearance. And I asked if I could send it to them. And because I, I was very honest about what I do, um, they said, they just said no. Okay. Well, it kept bothering me, so I contacted the FBI. FBI said they wanted to take my information, but they couldn't because all information has to go through the local police force. So they recommended me call the local police force again. So I called them again, did not tell them who I was, did not tell them anything about being a medium. I just said, I have information on the missing little girl. And keep in mind, this was the next day, different officer. And I was told to call back the next day. <laughs> For all they knew... I lived down the street and saw who took her. And they completely brushed it off. Well, I uh, called Crime Stoppers next. Asked them, can I please fax you this picture? They had no, no way to receive a fax. No way. So I was ignored. This is for the fourth time. 
So I went to social media at that point because I'd already had enough. And I posted it and I said, I believe this person may be involved in some way, witness or otherwise, to the disappearance of this little girl. Can anybody please get this to the police department? Three days later, the mom's boyfriend was arrested. Guess who I drew? No. It pays to be an artist, doesn't it? It, it does, but that's another reason why it's so difficult to get involved in those cases. Do you because, ever... You know, who knows what would have happened? Do you ever feel like when you come to the police with information that you can somehow be tied to the the crime if you know too much? No. I actually, I really do. I really don't. I never worry about that. Because, honestly, I'm about as vanilla as they come. (laughs) If they could drum up anything on me... More power to them. I would be interested to see how interesting I am. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, that never bothers me. And my only fear, my only fear is in, in the, it doesn't, I mean, in all honesty, I, I'm still waiting on somebody to tell me I'm wrong when I do something like that. But what if, I, what if it's that one chance that it happens and I actually cost somebody their life? I have a really big problem with that. My ego is small enough. I don't need to, to to have that recognition for that. I'm not going to seek that out. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. Okay. So talk, yeah. to, talk to me a little bit about remote viewing and explain that to the listeners who may not be as familiar with that term. Okay, well, remote viewing is pretty creepy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's start out being really honest with that. Um, I didn't know I was doing it. until I was able to put a label on it. And basically what remote viewing is, is I could be sitting here in my living room in Oklahoma and somebody like my publisher, who he has done this to me multiple times, um, he'll call me up and say, Vanessa, I'm at a place. Tell me about it. And the last time he did this was just a few months ago. And um, the second, he had already told me he was going to be calling me. I didn't know what state he was in. And so I picked up the phone, he got out, hello, and I started talking and I didn't stop for 10 minutes. (laughs) And I gave him all of this information and I finally took a breather and I said, okay, do I need to keep going or do you want to ask me some questions? And he's like, nope, keep going. So I kept going and then when I was finally done, I asked him, I said, okay, I think that's all I've got. So what do you want me to do with that now? And he said, uh, he goes, well, let me ask the person who's here with me. And as soon as she spoke, I knew exactly where he was. And what I had been doing was channeling Mary Washington. And I described the inside of the house, the fact that the door was in the wrong place, how many children um, had been raised in the house, that they were stair-stepping age, that there were six of them, um, her dress, the fact that... um, Somebody kept looking for the paperwork, and the the signature on it was extremely important. Come to find out, they had lost the deed to the house. The Washingtons did. None of this I would have known because he was going from Illinois to Rhode Island. You don't get there by way of Virginia. Not typically. No. (laughs) And he had specifically stayed off social media and had not posted any pictures or posts, so I would not know where he was. That's pretty impressive. Thank you. You do this. me out. You said you do this for teams uh, across the world, halfway across the world, who need who need to know mm-hmm. something. I've done I've done it for teams in England. I've done it for teams in Greece uh, via Twitter. 
I, I worked for teams in Greece via Twitter, um, Ireland, you name it. So we're on the subject of Ireland since you just brought uh-huh. it up. <laughs> and <laughs> you just recently, uh, fairly recently, filmed a documentary over there called Hidden Gems of Ireland. Tell me a little bit about that. Oh, wonderful opportunity that, that my uh, co-producer with Perfect Trust Productions, uh, her name is Gwen Clapper. Uh, I founded Perfect Trust, and she, she co-founded it. And we've worked together so many times. And uh, we decided that we wanted to do something completely different. Uh, we Sure, we were going over there to, paranormally, to, to investigate the paranormal. Absolutely. But not to prove, because we don't care. If you believe us, great. If you don't, that's okay too. No skin off our backs. Um, but we wanted to um, we wanted to film and get interviews and get history and lore and mythology, and we did that in spades. We went over there with absolutely nothing, no money. We raised the money for the plane tickets. Our hotel and uh, meal one meal per day was sponsored by the hotel that was taking care of us, and that was actually its owned by a person that I have actually remote viewed for. So that's why they were so willing to do that. And we spent eight days of filming. Two women in their 40s walked over 200 miles in eight days. Um, we hit the jackpot when it came to mythology. We traveled almost four stories down into the earth to uh, go to Cave of the Cats, which for pagans out there, they know that as Cave of the Morgan. Um, it's prehistoric, predates Christianity by about 2,000 years. Um, we went to uh, the site of the mother and baby home and tomb. We investigated the hotel, which is extremely haunted. And uh, it's just, it's a beautiful series. And it's raw, it's real, there's no hype, no BS, no special effects. Uh, Douchebaggins, we are not. <laughs> so if people um, want to see the real stuff go to amazon prime and watch hidden gems ireland we have two episodes up so far episode three should be up by the end of this month and it's going to be amazing how many episodes did you say they'll be total when it's all done at least eight possibly ten and then we start filming season two stateside i won't say where um in may Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And we're fitting the bill for this. I mean, Amazon will be paying us, yes. But they're paid on views, so by all means, people get out there and watch it. Um, so far, we aside from one four-star on both of our episodes, we've received all five-star reviews simply because it's authentic and it's different. Nope. And that is, I'm so proud of that. Yeah, I've, I, I haven't. I'm not gonna lie to you. I hadn't had a chance to watch it yet, but uh, that's okay. It, but it's definitely on, on my list. <laughs> I, we I, I, like we will let the listeners in for a little thing. I screwed up our interview time, and I thought this was actually a week later than what it was. And my intention was to watch the episodes before we talked, but then I found out literally 30 minutes before we we're talking that I screwed up the date, so I didn't get a that's chance to okay. watch. Okay. Uh, let me let me tell you one little thing that happened because if I tell you, it's not going to change it when you see it. You know what I mean? It, it's it's still going to be wow. Um, we were at a place called Moore Hall, which isn't a good place. All right, I'm not going to blow smoke. It's not a good place. Um, but we were there. We had uh, 
or a security advisor there with us uh, for that particular investigation because it's out in the middle of nowhere and it was pitch black and you don't know darkness until you've been in Ireland in the middle of the night. I've heard that. I've heard that I've heard Great Britain period dark. at dark is dark. <laughs> oh my gosh, there's nothing like it. I mean, <clears throat> you couldn't see your hand in front of your fucking face, okay? <laughs> well, we are right there at Moore Hall and Mick who is who was our security person, keep in mind, a good 250, 6 foot 3. Big dude. He has to get up on this makeshift ladder just to put his elbows on the windowsill of the first floor to use his camera to take pictures of the inside. So I'm doing my thing. Gwen's doing her thing. She's filming Mick. His cell phone is turned off and sitting to the side on the windowsill. He's nowhere near to get eight, ten inches away. She is filming him, and you watch his cell phone turn on, then the flashlight turns on, then it spins and flips off the windowsill. <laughs> now, any other team on TV would have flipped out and said, they must want us to leave. What are you, demon? Show yourself. <laughs> you know what happened with us? I mean, Gwen was like, sounds about right. And I waddled my little chubby ass over there to, and picked up the phone. And I'm like, oh, shit, man, here you go. <laughs> And then we went about our business. So if people are looking for ghost adventures, don't watch our show. <laughs> if you're looking for real, by all means, please watch it. Is this a, a are these episodes free or are they uh, like the two ninety nine? If you episodes? have Amazon Prime, they're free. Perfect. Yes. If you don't, there we kept the cost as minimal as possible. So I think you can rent it for 30 days for $1.99 or an HD for $2.99, or you can purchase the episode, you know, but if you have Amazon Prime, it's free. So let's get into, uh, you've got a podcast, correct? Yes. Going on five years now. I was going to say there's about a hundred episodes, I believe. So yeah, it's uh, it's been uh, once a week and we just started our fifth year. Nice. So yeah. What, give me an idea of if you tune into the podcast, what do you get? <laughs> you get me in spades and you get, you get my publisher, Mike, who was just amazing. Uh, we've had some wonderful guests. We've had Steve Deshavi on the show. If you are at all allergic to the word fuck, don't watch it. Um, <laughs> we have had Ricky Rocket from Poison on there. I saw that. Uh, Pretty impressive. Yeah, the drummer. That was a hoot. Um, We've had Andrea Perrin on many, many times. Uh, you know who An- Andrea Perrin is, right? Yeah, we've had her on once. Yeah, she's wonderful. Um, we've had um, Al- Alex Holzer, Alexandra Holzer, a good friend of mine, on a couple times. And uh, just, I mean, all kinds of investigators and authors and scientists and just amazing scholars amazing people on our show and we just we have a really good time with it and it's always something different you know um we've had uh, christopher peters who um he's a hollywood producer we've had him on twice and uh he his um he was one of the producers for a star is born oh, and okay. he's real yeah he's really in um to uh ufology so he's he's an interesting person as well. Um, but yeah, we've just we we've had a lot of luck, a lot of love, 
uh, had reached almost 17,000 subscribers um, on our channel, on the Haunted Road Media channel, and because of how YouTube does the algorithms, because ours is a video show, um, we decided to take Haunted, uh, take Edge of the Rabbit Hole to their own show. So starting our fifth year, we're starting from scratch. Oh, wow. And that, that is the name. Of, that is the name of the show. It's Edge of the Rabbit Holes for uh, yes. In all honesty, if I'm being very honest, if people just Google my name, everything pops up. That's what I tell people when they're like, "How do you find you? Just just Google us." There's no yeah. sense of going if through. Yeah, if they just Google Vanessa Hogel, there it is. So let's talk about everything. your books. Uh huh. So. Tell me a little bit about because you got several out there. Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit about about what you do when you write a book as far as what your what subject matter you're most interested in putting out there. <clears throat> I write paranormal nonfiction, so it's just every it, if you read my books, every single thing that is written in those books actually happened, and it's a rarity that I write any of those instances that don't have multiple witnesses because I would question myself. If I was reading my books and there wasn't witness testimony in there, I'd be like, she's full of shit. You know, <laughs> because <laughs> of all the crazy things that have happened. Um, my first book was Soulscapes. Mike, actually, I rem- Mike uh, Ricksack was my publisher and also my co-host for Edge of the Rabbit Hole. And he actually asked me to write that book. And I was in a bad relationship big dickhead that I was with, okay? And so I didn't have a lot of support writing it. I didn't have any. And so it's not my favorite. So I actually tell people don't buy it. Don't waste your money. Um, But basically what it is is a compilation of 10 years worth of remote viewing investigations, kind of the highlights of it. Uh, The second book I wrote shortly thereafter was called Giving Up the Ghost. And that was basically my parabiography. I pretty much gave birth to that book. And that was from childhood up until that point. And then with Walking with Ghosts, um, that was about investigations in Virginia, England, and Scotland that I participated in and uh, the different things that that happened with those. Um, And in the back of that book are letters from different people that I investigated with, talking about their experiences investigating with me. And I told them, I said, you know, just send the letters I'm not changing a word. So if you say I suck, then that's going in the book. I don't <laughs> care. And um, yeah, because I'm, I'm, I honesty is everything. And uh, luckily they didn't, but it all went in the book just as just as they wrote it. I maybe added a period. Um, Rebel Witch, which was the most recent book that came out, I want to say June 25th. That actually went, and they all spent at least eight weeks in the, in the top 10 on Amazon rebel, Witch went straight to number one, the first day. And that one, I, t- I took the gloves off in that one. Um, I didn't say names because I can be sued, but I, I gave examples of what happens in the paranormal community and in the esoteric community, um, what to do, what not to do, how to know if you're being scammed, you name it. I put it all in there. See, that seems like a fun book. It was. It was fun to write. It was super fun to write. Um, Walking with Ghost was my hardest book to write. And that's because I took the Hollywood out of it. I took the pretty out. 
So these people that see somebody supposedly get taken over on TV and think it's all nice and neat like that are in for a shock because it's not. And that's one of the things that I do um, is I'm a channeler. So I, I kind of call myself the paranormal taxi. I let them hop in, drive me around a little bit, and then they hop out. And that sometimes does not end well. And I put all of that in there. Talk to me a little bit about that. Tell well, me, it sucks. Tell, tell, tell me, <laughs> tell me, tell me what it feels like, like, like when you know somebody's coming through you initially, uh, and then what do you feel during the case? Are you how aware are you of what's going on? How much control do you have over your body? Just take walk me through it. Well, I will tell you about the first time it happened that I was aware of. And, um, well, the first time that it happened that I'm aware of now, okay, um, and I was 13 years old, and I was at a slumber party, and there were seven girls, we're all 13, we were just begging for issues, you know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, we decided we were going to be all creepy and put each other in trances. The last thing I remember is sitting down. That's it. I woke up to two of the girls slapping me across the face and seeing one of the other girls take the big cooler of 12-ounce cans of Cokes and all the ice and dump it over the other girl that I was supposedly putting in a trance um, because she was seizing. Oh, wow. And I said, what the hell happened? And they said, you didn't blink for 30 minutes. And the girl that was sitting across from me couldn't break contact. That's the first that I am aware of now of that happening. Um, the second time, probably the most impressive to me, was I, it was my first trip to New Orleans. And New Orleans is always called to me. It's like my Mecca. I went 10 times in three years, if that tells you anything. <laughs> and me, my, this is my first time, and me and the three other girls I were with had went to a place called Mother's, which is just amazing to eat. It's, it's total diet food, but it's the best. And we were getting ready to leave later that day, and... I was so upset because all I wanted to do was see Marie Laveau's tomb. It's all I wanted to do. And I hadn't had a chance to do that yet. And we're all standing outside of Mother's, and I don't remember anything. The next thing I know, I wake up, and I'm standing in front of Marie Laveau's tomb. And so I asked my friend Megan and her sister Meg, or her sister-in-law Meg and her sister Meredith, I said, What happened? How did I get here? And they said, Vanessa, you were standing outside Mother's. Your your chin dropped down to your chest. Then it popped back up. You turned around without saying a word, and you ran. And apparently I ran for 18 blocks in and out of traffic, up and down alleyways. And uh, they said I stopped at this little uh, median of grass between uh, oncoming traffic and, and, and the opposite direction waited till they called up with me, held my hand up and said, just a minute, and then walked into the cemetery and directly directly in front of her tomb. That's phenomenal. I have no recollection. Now, since a horrible incident that happened in Virginia, I have learned, and that was just uh, three years ago, two or three years ago, I have learned to keep a part of myself in there. So when a particular situation happened in Ireland, I was 
at least half aware and half able to control my body, but not fully. Hmm. But I'm bum. <laughs> <laughs> you want to put me in a padded room, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, because you'll remote view yourself over to my house and cause havoc, and I don't want that. Oh, kind of true pressure. story. <laughs> but, but do you see why I make sure any instances like that that happen, I've got witnesses to? Yeah, I could. I def- won't write about it if I don't have a witness. Well, Vanessa, because who would believe that shit? <laughs> <laughs> for the, for those of you who don't know, you're actually really good friends with Leslie Fear. Yeah, she's my buddy. And uh, that's that's how she kind of hooked us up together. I'm so glad she did because this has been such a fun fun interview. So tell, Thank you. Tell everybody how they can get uh, in touch with you if they needed to, or how they can keep up with you on social media. Okay, well, um, I'm on social media. Actually, you know what? I'm going to make it super easy for easy for them. This is way easier. If you just go to VanessaHogle.com. I'm a .com now. Can you believe it? <laughs> VanessaHogle.com. On that page, it gives my full bio, tells everything that I'm doing, and I update it as much as I can, but it is a new site. And um, at the bottom, it has all of my social media. And that's V-A-N-E-S-S-A-H-O-G-L-E. And we'll put a we'll put a uh, link to it on our web pages. Yeah, that's just so much easier for people. It really is. And each one of the things down there, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or Instagram, if they just hit the little icon, it'll take them directly to me. Well, doesn't get any easier than that. Exactly, right? <laughs> Well, Vanessa, thanks so much for coming on. I greatly appreciate it. It's been super fun, and we'll definitely have you on again sometime. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And you have a wonderful night. You do the same. Thank you. She is so much fun. And the fact that she's Leslie's friend just makes it even better. Yes, so true. It's, we've been blessed with so many cool um, people to come on the show and made us so many new friends. It's just great. It is great. And... You know, like I said, we've met a lot of good authors, mm-hmm. and next week is no exception because we have another author on, J.J. Crane. Okay, great. He writes stories about Bigfoot, and mm-hmm. so I'm telling you, though, he, he was so much fun to have on. I really wasn't sure when we first started talking, um, or, or when we first set up the interview, how much we were going to have to talk about, but... I mean, we end up getting it because his first book was on the New Jersey Devil. Yeah. And we end up talking about, you know, the stories that he's heard because he's from New Jersey. That's where he lives. Mm-hmm. And we talked a little bit about that. And then it led one thing led to another. But it was fascinating. Mm-hmm. So actually really cool. Well, so good. We'll see you guys next week. Bye, guys.